3: Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What up? It's the Crossover
4: Pod, Friday edition. I'm Howard Beck, senior writer for Sports Illustrated. It's playoff time, folks. Seatings are set. Well, the side from eighth in each conference play-in tournament wraps Friday night, but everything else is set best time of the year. We will, of course, be diving into all of that on the Tuesday crossover with Chris Mannix and me and throughout the playoffs. But today, on the Friday edition, of course, we do guests on the Friday edition. And today, conversation with another NBA legend. He is Muggsy Bogues, who had easily one of the most unique careers of anyone in this league's history in large part because, of course, he's the shortest player in NBA history. Muggsy stands five foot three. Never been anyone like him before, never been anyone like him since his retirement 20 years ago. We have seen Earl Boykins, of course, at 5'5", Nate Robinson, and Isaiah Thomas each at 5'9", but no one at Muggsy's size. And he still fashioned a long and very successful career and a really interesting one, all of which is the subject of his new book called Muggsy, My Life from a Kid in the Projects to the Godfather of Smallball. Uh, That hit bookstores this week. I encourage you all to go pick it up at all the usual places. We discussed his career a uh, bunch of other fun things touched on his old team the Hornets and LaMelo Ball of course they are now out but still a lot of promise there um, got to that and, and a bunch more of course before we get to all that a quick reminder please rate, review and subscribe to the Crossover wherever you get your podcasts and hit me with all your feedback on Twitter at Howard Beck okay my chat with Muggsy Bogues is coming up next so stick around This This, this, is The Crossover, an NBA show hosted by Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix and Howard Back. It's a whole new level for you and me, Chris, this relationship.
1: Like and subscribe for the best weekly NBA content these two are capable of. What
2: does that mean? Could be the best duo ever. I don't see how you can beat that.
1: Here they are,
0: Chris
4: Mannix and Howard Back. Now very pleased to be joined by the legend Mugsy Bogues, Mugsy, how are you, sir? Pretty good. Thanks for having me. No, thanks for uh, for joining us. This is great. I've got your book right here in my hands, uh, Mugsy. My life from a kid in the projects to the godfather of small ball. Um, I love the title. I love the fact that you've included small ball because we're talking about small ball all the time now, but not the small ball that you're no- you're known <laughs> for. It's a little bit that, different.
5: Um, that, that is true
4: mugsy it's been, you know, a good 20 plus years since you retired. Why why now uh, deciding to tell your life story in this fashion? And it's a and it's a fascinating tale for people. You should all go pick it up. But um, what motivated you at this stage to decide to to kind of t- tell these stories?
5: Well, you know, early on in my career, in 93 and 94, I did a autobiography called the Enderliner Giants when they came to me. To actually do it, and it was mainly because my pops had just passed away, and one of my good friends, and Reggie Lewis, had passed away. And that book was more of a, a early angry book, I should say, or just the beginning of my career. This one that I'm putting out um, this time, you know, this memoir, my my kid from the projects to you know the golf of a small ball. I felt like it was it was good timing in terms of with the kids, and not only just the kids, but just so anyone. Who just had obstacles that just lacking that type of confidence you know this book is about someone who had a passion and just chasing it each and every day um about relationships some of the relationships I was able to have on the players that I played with the impact that I had on their their lives as well as some of the current players today uh like the Stephan Curry's and the Chris Pauls um as well uh, about relationships um you know the relationships that I had with those guys but as well as me and my wife you know we came to our relationship and found our self back to one another after divorcing being divorced for 10 years you know which is kind of unheard of to you know two couples you know two people find their way back to one after they divorced so you know i talked about how me being a boy you know during that time of marriage and how i grew down to become a man you know some of the mistakes that i made but just uh and giving back to the community as well you know my times are just giving back to the community and making sure that people who are less fortunate than myself have other resources, try to, you know, help them live a better quality life.
4: Yeah. I mean, I'm going to imagine if you're going to write two, two autobiographies, you know, uh, you know, this far apart, right. Your twenties versus your fifties. And I'm pretty close to your age. So I know like we, we evaluate ourselves differently at this stage, right? Like you're probably, this is, I'm sure a much more reflective version of, of telling your life story than what you would have done uh, at the start of your, your career, did you find yourself kind of saying, oh, you know what? I told this story once, but it, I didn't, that wasn't the right context. So that wasn't the right tone. Like, cause you, we see things differently at this stage of life. Is, is there an example of that where something that you told in this book, you're viewing through a different prism now than you would have back in, in like 93?
5: Well, maybe a, little bit. a lot to have to do with that, as you just mentioned. Yes. And, and also that it's, this one has a lot more substance. I had a lot more time to live, you know, a lot more time to, to kind of grow and, and impact. But growing up early on in life, you know, I, I, you can see it totally different, you know, in terms of now that you had opportunity to kind of view it in a different and pers- put it in a different perspective, you know, especially growing up in that, that place called Baltimore. Uh, my times don't end. Um but it, it, again, you know, you, you get to reflect, um, you get to kind of, again, tell it in a whole different light because of some of the ways that you're able to communicate and able to tell it. So, uh, but the substance and the gist of it is still pretty much the same. Um, but again, a lot of part of the, uh, you got, like I said, got so much more substance in this one because of the opportunity of being able to have a long journey. Muggsy, for people who
4: know your career or for younger fans who maybe only just maybe know your name and they know, oh, he was, you know, 5'3 and made it in the NBA and had this long career and they just know the abstract of it. And I think if they think about what you've overcome, they're just thinking about he overcame his height. But you've overcome so much more in your life, which is part of what this book is about too, and you mentioned Baltimore, uh, without you know, divulging too much from the book because we obviously want people to go pick it up. But give me a sense of of the things the the life lessons and the things like the way you had to kind of steal yourself um, from a young age, some of the things that you witnessed, some of the things that you went through, uh, that kind of you know prepared you for life, that prepared you to be a guy who could be in the NBA at five three and and thrive.
5: Yeah, great question. I mean, I was, you know, not only just overcoming the barriers in terms of breaking down the mindsets of people thinking that the game of basketball is only meant for bigger and taller players, you know, it was a challenge just walking outside your door, you know, being able just to survive and have to look over your shoulders, every you know, every given minute, you know, being a, you know, and unfortunately for me at the age of five years old, you know, I got shot, you know, so that's something that they'll be able to learn and, 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 Understand, you know, a kid at that age, um, being at the wrong place at the wrong time in that type of you know environment, you know, anything can happen to you, um, nothing is promised. And then the things that you see growing up, you know, the things that you witness, you know, it, as a kid, you know, sometimes you just think that's normalcy, you know. But in reality, you know, those are tragedy moments that take place in your neighborhood and, you know, grieving uh, take place afterwards in process. So, um, but those are the things that you kind of, you know, understand, you know, your, your surroundings and understand how to navigate through in order to become the person that you want to be in life.
4: Going through stuff like that obviously can affect people and in, in all different ways, negatively or positively. Do you, did you always see it, Muggsy, as kind of the root of of your, of your mental toughness of this, the the way it affected your psyche was that it gave you the tools to like deal with situations. And again, like it takes, you can be pretty freaking bold to chart the course you did professionally. And this is not to minimize the things that you witnessed and went through uh, in your childhood, but I, I, these things have an impact. Did you always see it that way?
5: Well, I think, you know, when you face with, and you expose the things at an early age, I mean, you get to kind of, you know, I guess, learn and and, and, and and take it for a way to where, you know, it's information in a way that you got to kind of utilize it the best way you know how and for us and for me, you know, that's that's how I was able to look at it, you know, uh, the things that you're able to experience, you're able to do, you know, how to apply that in terms of your mental toughness, and you know, the things that you want. To try to pursue um and how much belief and confidence do you have within in order to you know make it come to a fruition and i think all of that combination of 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 what i've all experienced what i've endured you know allowed me to have that 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 big that big heart to believe that what i was dreaming what i was believing that can all could come to a fruition and regardless of what anyone you know said you know, in terms of what I think they should, I should be doing, you know, I'm quite sure a lot of that had to do with the, you know, the dramatic experience as a kid being shot, not caring about what anyone said, allow me to block out all, all this, that necessary noise, focus more or less on me and try to become, again, the one, the guy that I want to be.
0: Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season.
3: And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
6: NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team, Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: for, uh, again, especially for a younger audience or even guys like me who were alive to see this at the time but may have forgotten because it's been a while. Um, But when you're drafted in the league in 87, by the way, I want to quickly reference this. So 1987, David Robinson's the number one overall pick. Other high picks that year, Scottie Pippen at five, Kenny Smith at sixth, Kevin Johnson at seventh, Horace Grant at 10th, Reggie Miller at 11th, and then Muggsy Bogues, 12th overall pick, pick, six spots ahead of Mark Jackson at 18th. Mark Jackson, who who uh, contributes a little passage in the book about that. Um, what? How big of a shock do you recall that being to, not necessarily to you, but to the league, to all these giants, literal giants in the game, to all these athletes who are just used to towering over even you know everybody, but much more so a, a guy of your height at 5'3". Was this just a shockwave that went through the NBA? How long did it take before people stopped? Did they ever stop, I guess, <laughs> commenting on your height or looking at you as simply the shortest guy out there as opposed to just a, a basketball player?
5: Oh uh, No, I mean, of course, that was a shocker for a lot of folks, and, but not so much amongst my peers because those are the guys i was playing against on a day-to-day basis, and they knew the type of skill set I possess, and... Um, and and how much success I was having on the court. I mean, coming from the combine at the, you know, me and myself and Scotty, you know, our stock had risen when people was in the NBA draft was having us going to late in the second round. But, you know, that was, that was the that was the journey. That was the hunger in terms of me wanting to prove that guy my size is capable, regardless of, you know, how tall I was, that I should be looked upon just like anyone else if I had the skill set and being able to put myself on that uh, uh, on that stage and being able to sit in that room, you know, right next to Mark Jackson as we was watching, as we was hearing the names being called. Um, because we he and I, we knew Washington or the bullets was gonna take either he and I. And uh been here it is, fortunate enough, we both went back to our hometowns. I went to DC and he went back to New York. Um, but it was just a great, a great experience at the time. I mean, it was a surreal moment. The weight of the world was lifted off my shoulders that day. And, uh, and being able to go up and shake the commissioner's stern hand and put your hat on. Something that a lot of small guys didn't get an opportunity to do. So I was thankful to be able to do that.
4: I'm sure David Stern was also thankful because he's used to everybody just walking up and towering over him, right? <laughs>
5: yeah, yeah. That first time he was able to look someone eye to eye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um- what
4: it so I'm curious about this distinction, right? You you are still to this day and you may be forever after the shortest player in NBA history, and that is a compliment ab- above all else, right? But I remember I think it was Earl Boykins, who's you know 5'5, he retired in 2012. I, I remember a day where I think like somebody was trying to ask him about the height thing, and, and I think he was a little bit squirrely about it because I think at a certain point you get sick of being asked about it or characterized simply by your height? Like, listen, just, I'm just, I'm a basketball player. I'm a good basketball player. I just want to talk about being a basketball player not the shortest or among the short. Did that happen to you, Muggsy? I mean, obviously, even in the title of your book, you are to this day embracing uh, your your distinction. Um, did it Did it feel like something that you kind of had to balance at the time about whether it's a point of pride or something where you feel like you're being kind of just caricatured?
5: Well, for me, no, I never even bought into any of that. You know, the question was always related, but it was always warranted. I mean, I knew I was a good basketball player. I knew I belonged in the conversation with the best. Um, and I just so have to be short. Um, and them asking those type of questions, you know, I embraced it. You know, it was a means of how I was navigating, how I was kind of putting my stamp on the game by being that size. So that was... I always felt there was this inquisitive mind that needed to know uh, what we was capable, what I was capable of doing at that height. Um, So I never really got, took it personally or or got even frustrated with that type of question because I knew where it was coming from. What did the big
4: guys, like the big, big guys say to you on the court at the time? Like it was, it was all a trash talk back then too. And like everything's fair game on NBA court. So what are the kind of things you'd you'd hear from guys or or did they actually like because of the respect they might have because of what you were able to do despite it all, did they stay away from that? like what what was the kind of chatter you'd hear?
5: i didn't, I didn't get much of the the the, the trash talking on, from the big guys, not on my part. Of course, you know, of course they'd be upset when they try to put the ball down not steal the front of it, you know that sort of thing. Uh, but you know, all the trash talk came with, amongst the guards. You know, Gary Payton was one of the best stuff from, to, to love talking trash, him and Michael Jordan and Reggie Miller. So at that position, that's where all the trash talk coming. But as far as the big guys like Shaq and, you know, they just will be, you know, when they put the ball on the floor, you opportunity to get a steal, you know, of course they let you know going back down the cut cl- down the court, you know, uh, in terms of, you know, come on, little fella, man. You know, leave me alone. Go out there and mess with <laughs> other guys, you know, that sort of stuff. So Not too much negativity, trash talk, but other than that, it's all fun. You
4: finished top seven in assists, six straight seasons, I believe, and top 10 in steals three times. Did you actually find a way to, rather than people thinking about it as having to overcome your height, did you use it, in fact, to your advantage?
5: Well, to my advantage or disadvantage, it was just a means of me understood what my strength and weaknesses were. You know, as a small guard, I was very aggressive on the defensive end. You know, I made you work getting that ball across half court. I knew that was the the main objective of a point guard, being able to get his team up and get into the offense very quickly. So if I challenge you in that regard and take time in that way and make you think about me on a constant basis. You know, you kind of doing your job, becoming that pest that everybody, you know, thinking that you are. So I'm working the mind in all kinds of regards, you know, in the game for me, it was just uh, being small, being quick, knowing I could get around my opponent, being able to finish if I needed to, making my teammates better. I knew I had that ability. So um, in terms of me being small, I just, that's the advantage that I understood that I was closer to the ball.
4: Correct, yes. Yes, so obviously Big hornet support. It's funny because this is not really your Hornets. Your Hornets went to New Orleans and then this was the Bobcats, but it became, the, it's all very confusing, Muggsy. Um, I know you're a Big Hornets uh, backer there and they've got Isaiah Thomas now, who's five foot nine, I believe, shortest in the NBA now. Um, we had Nate Robinson several years ago at five nine. Before that, uh, Earl Boykin's at five five, Spud Webb at five seven. So it's, you know, every so often someone comes along who can pull this off? But it's it's very rare. Feels like it's maybe even becoming increasingly rare. When Isaiah Thomas comes to town is now playing for sort of your your Hornets, um, the reincarnated Hornets. Uh, is, is that something that brings brings a little joy to you? And have you reached out to Isaiah? Do you know him at all? Is there? I always wonder if there's a little bit of a bond between the guys who have been able to, to do this at that height.
5: Oh, yeah. I mean, all the guys I knew Isaiah when he first came into the league, actually before he came to the league, when he was with Washington, uh, being coached by Lorenzo Romar. Uh, but yes, I um All the guys that came in the league uh, after me, the Earl Borkins, the Greg Grants, the Nate Robinson, uh, even the Stephen Curry, you know, Chris Paul. You try to kind of, you know, give them some things in terms of what to focus on, what to watch out for, being a small guard going into the league. Um, so we all have that little small fraternity uh, that we kind of uh, have with one another. Uh, and of course I have uh, spoken to Isaiah since he has been here in Charlotte. Um, I welcomed him actually when he first came, I um, told him that this would be a good situation for him going forward, even though they, he was under a 10 day contract, but I'm so grateful that they signed up for the remainder of the season. Cause I thought, and I, as I mentioned to, you know, Mitch Kupchak and those guys that it was a good situation, especially for Mello. you know, having a guy like Isaiah Thomas, who have been on our star, had that pedigree, can really lend a good ear to uh, to LaMelo. And I think that'd be something that he'll be wanting. And I think that's something that turned out to be true because they wound up signing for the rest of the year.
4: Yeah. No, well, and yeah, couldn't have landed in a, in a better place uh, in a lot of ways. And it's just good to see Isaiah back. He's just such a, a, a great uh, positive spirit and fun player to, to watch, obviously. And he's, he's still got clearly more to contribute. Um, you mentioned LaMelo. What have you thought of him so far? Obviously, a, 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 a bigger point guard, um, great court vision, great passing. Uh, by the time, so when this podcast uh, publishes, it'll be Friday, so that'll be the same day that they're having their play-in game. Um, what do you think of the of the uh, of the Hornets' prospects? Oh, excuse me, they'll have had their had their they'll have yeah. had one of their uh, playing games by before then if they're still alive. Excuse right. me. They, yep. They'll still be playing on, on Friday. they got to beat the Hawks uh, first. There's a lot going on. I'm still trying to get my head around the play-in, Muggsy. <laughs> it's uh, still very new. Uh, by the time this pod publishes, people, the listeners will know that their fate. But what have you thought of LaMelo and the way that he has re-energized this franchise?
5: I love LaMelo. I mean, he's exactly what they needed. Uh, the guy who has the star power, who's well grounded. Um, a player that I'm quite sure a lot of players would love to play with. Uh, because he's the type of player that he, as you mentioned, he's the pass first, shoot second. And having that understanding as a point guard, knowing that making other guys around you better, guys gravitate towards that type of uh, uh, play. You know, they love to have a guy, especially at the point guard position, knowing that he's running the team the right way. And uh, and I think the future is very bright for the Hornets um, with the addition um uh miles bridges his his uh his, his, his progress that he's been making along with P. J. Washington, so I love the core. Hopefully that hey will go and we could get back on the floor. Um, but as you're right, if we got to win this game on Wednesday against the Hawks um uh, in order for us to be ready for Friday
4: uh, the, the listeners will know by the time they hear this podcast. uh <laughs> The other thought I had about Lomelo is this: Lomelo is six seven at the point. Lucas's got size. Giannis is not a point guard, but he's a point something. He's a point Giannis. We have a point Jokic. <laughs> like The guys who can handle the ball and run the offense and play with guard skills at 6'8", 6'9", 6'10", feet now is really impressive. But at the same time, I, I start to wonder, you know... Where, where does this lead for smaller guards? I don't mean just at, at your size, but even Chris Paul at, at six feet or Steph at, at, you know, what, six, two, six, three. Um, if the game keeps moving in this direction where you've got a lot of six, seven, six, eight and up ball handlers, it's an interesting evolution. Do you ever look at it that way and think, man, I, I, is the small guy going to be extinct?
5: No, that is so true. I mean, because you, you mentioned that and that's something that it's been happening for quite some time now because the NBA is a trend you know and you know they looked at LeBron James at that position being able to be that type of uh, player a facilitator and then that's what teams try to match you look at Jason Tatum at Boston you know with uh, Jalen Brown so you know teams try to emulate that type of play uh, that type of player because they feel like that gives them a better advantage and but I'm always going to believe that it's going to be a small place for the smaller guard you know we got the the job, ja, the ja Morant, you know, even though John's ja is 6'2", you know, but he's very athletic. Um, Ty's Jones, you know, now that uh, with, with Memphis as well. So hopefully we can continue to have, you know, those type of players uh, impacting. And, and it's all about how well you impact, you know, once you're out on the floor. We got Van Fleet down in, in uh, Fred Van Fleet in, in, in Toronto. So how well we continue to impact, you know, once you're out on the floor. But I hope you're not right in terms of, me being the smallest that ever going to play this game. I hope in my lifetime that I can see somebody my size or even smaller that's out there and it the way I was able to.
4: That would be incredible. That is something for uh, somebody out there to aspire to. I don't know Muggs, if anybody's ever going to be able to do it as well as you at five three. Um, and like I say, it's rare to even see five, seven, five, nine, you know, come along. It It is, it is very rare which is why the distinction that you have to this day, um, is so impressive. Your co I don't, I don't know how to pronounce Jake's last, Jacob's last name. Jake Udy. Jake Udy. Okay. Yeah. He even says in, in, uh, in one of the forwards of the book, he thinks you should be in the hall of fame. Is that something that, um, you have advocated for yourself that you believe as well, uh, based on, on the distinction of your career?
5: Well, that's not something for me to say. You know, I just leave the, you know, the people who make those decisions. You know, if my career, if I was want to to be able to be one of the members of the Hall of Fame, then I'll be so well on it and be so thankful. So um uh, as far as me, you know, I don't I don't I don't think like that. I don't look at my career in that regard. I just went out there and did the best I possibly could and uh try to give hope to those who felt like those that's less fortunate those that don't have the true size factor or that people think that the criteria should be to be that type of player, you know, hopefully that I gave them a different perspective, you knowing that you come in multiple sizes to be able to have a, a successful NBA career.
4: Right, before we go one more, I got to throw at you. So sports illustrated has of course, this iconic photo from back in the day of you and Manute bull. You're smiling already. Um, what do you remember about that shoot? Because I didn't even, I haven't looked up, I should have looked it up first about what the story was, but do, what do you remember about what why that shoot happened? What do you remember about doing the shoot with Manute? And because like, the, the sheer spectacle, of course, seeing the two of you standing side by side with these basketballs piled up between you that you guys are holding, um, it's such a fun image. What do you remember about it?
5: Yeah, it was a fun shoot. Uh, I remember me and Manute, uh, of course, we were always comfortable with our own skin and uh, what we all uh, what our skill set truly was. Um, I mean, we just knew it was a, a, a fun opportunity for them to see the, the short end it from the tallest uh, side of it. So both guys from a different part of the spectrum. So, I mean, we had no, feelings, no ill feelings towards it, even though during that season, Middle part of the season, they start to try to use us as a novelty act because try to lure fans into the arena uh, based on our size. But we was like I said, we was comfortable within our skin. But that photo shoot, man, it was iconic. We was we had a fun time doing it. He and I always enjoy ourselves when we were with one another. So that was uh, that was what I mostly remember about. it.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's before my time as an NBA reporter, but I mean, everything I've
5: always heard is that he was just a a, a really fun
4: spirit wow. himself as well,
5: right? oh my goodness fun is you, you, you kind of underestimate the funness about him he was such a fun guy everybody knew about Manute. Manute loved telling stories about how he used to kill lions with a spear and i always tell him well what kind of lions were those you know one with no teeth in their mouth uh, but he was uh he was a who to be around i'm so happy for bobo Bo, his son that's out here representing the family
4: yeah absolutely um well if people want to learn more about uh, obviously mugsy's life uh, go pick up the book. It is out now. Muggsy, My Life from a Kid in the Projects to the Godfather of Small Ball. Um, it's phenomenal. A lot of great, as you put it, Muggsy, just great life lessons in there. It's not just about basketball. There's uh, there's a lot uh, a lot there. And uh, this has been fun. Hope we get to cross paths in uh, in Charlotte one of these days. Thanks so much for
5: for joining us. Oh, Thanks for having me. I look forward to that day when you come to Charlotte. Absolutely.
4: Appreciate it. Okay, fine. Okay, that's it for today's show. My thanks again to Muggsy Bogues. Thanks to his daughter, Brittany Bogues, for connecting us. Thanks to our producer, Shelby Royston, and thank you all for listening. Remember, you can hear Chris Mannix and me every Tuesday on The Crossover with all the latest NBA chatter. And then on Fridays, it's me and a guest. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to The Crossover wherever you get your podcasts. And hit me with all your feedback on Twitter, at Howard Beck.